1: hello and welcome to the break a bat podcast where baseball meets broadway an attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas we're happy to have you with us now let's play ball Hello and welcome to Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway and sports meets show business. This is Al Malafrante coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, First and foremost, I hope everyone in our audience was able to get through this crazy series of storms that we've been dealing with throughout the country. I was very happy to see some of our dedicated listeners like Bob Warren mark himself safe from Hurricane Ida down in New Orleans. I hope this show can provide some bit of an escape from all the craziness that we're dealing with in the world at large. So again, my best wishes to all of you and your families. This is going to be a cool episode as we head back to the stadium tonight and welcome in a former Major League All-Star whose big league career spanned nine seasons. A key cog for the Oakland A's from 1997 to 2000. My guest tonight was not only one of the best offensive outfielders in the AL West during that period, but also someone who was instrumental in helping return the Oakland A's franchise into a powerhouse. His career is highlighted by a Rookie of the Year award in 1998, a 104 RBI season, and of course, he played a big role in helping the A's break an eight-year playoff drought when they won the American League West in 2000. We're so grateful he could join us tonight. So with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting, Ben Grieve. Ben, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Al. Appreciate it and uh, appreciate the introduction, too.
1: My pleasure. Did it take you back to Bob Shepard at all when you would come visit Yankee Stadium?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's funny you say that because uh, my dad, one of his favorite stories is because uh, when he used to play is about Bob Shepard um, and just that classic voice. Uh, he tells it way better than I do, but basically his favorite player was Mickey Mantle. And the first time he heard his name announced to when he played there the first time he heard his own name announced. And then when I played there to be in the stands and hear my name announced all by Bob Shepard is uh, I think that's one of the highlights of his baseball memory bank.
1: That is so surreal. Did you used to get pumped up coming to Yankee stadium?
0: Yeah. You know, when people ask me my favorite parks, um, all the new ones are nice. I mean, uh, they're all they're all good but the my favorite parks to play in were fenway yankee stadium and surprisingly enough one of my might have been my favorite one is old tiger stadium and then um wrigley too but i love the old parks just the history and uh they're probably not as good to watch a game in but to play the game I, i love playing in all those parks
1: now, are you surprised? That, I mean, obviously, they've kept Fenway around. They've kept Wrigley around. A lot of history there. They built a new Yankee Stadium. Does it surprise you at all that there's no uh, new Oakland Coliseum yet?
0: It does. And I know they've been trying up there. I'm not sure where they're at with it right now. But they, de- they desperately need a new park. Uh, as nice as the weather is out there, it's a, it's a great place to watch baseball. They put a good team out there every year. A park would be so nice for them to have.
1: Now, what are you up to in retirement, Ben?
0: I don't do much. I golf, uh, watch sports on TV, and I have three kids that are all still at the house. So uh, my oldest is 18, my daughter is 16, and my youngest is 11. So when they get out of the house, I'm, I'm sure I'll find something to do, but they, <laughs> they keep me busy for now.
1: Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. And you know, you mentioned watching sports on TV. Are you still keeping up with baseball?
0: yeah i'm I'm kind of a fantasy sports nerd. It, it keeps me in touch with some of my old buddies. is, is the best part about it. it. makes me watch too much TV is probably the downside. so i I follow sports mainly because I'm in some of these little stupid fantasy leagues. but yeah, I got a, a baseball one, so I'm kind of a, I'm kind of on top of who, who's where.
1: Now are these all your old former teammates and you guys are drafting today's players.
0: So, yeah, I had a draft, a football draft today, actually, that started when I was on the Brewers in 2004. Um, That's been going on this long. Uh, Most of the guys are still in it. A lot of the same guys. A couple have come and Jeff Jenkins started it, left, came back and left again. But for the most part, it's it's a bunch of former Brewers.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So I'm trying to think about those teams. You were there. What was that? So you went from Oakland to Tampa, then to Milwaukee. Is that how that
0: played out? Yeah, I signed with Milwaukee for the 2004 season and was just there that one season. And then uh, I got traded to the Cubs at the end of that season and finished my career out with the Cubs. So, yeah, the 2004 Brewers, it's like uh, Bill Hall, Craig Council was our shortstop, uh, Wes Helms, Jeff Jenkins, uh, Lyle Overbay. and uh, Ben Sheets was probably our biggest. Uh, biggest name then.
1: Oh four 4 Brewers. Was Richie Saxon on that team, too, or was he gone by then?
0: Uh, I think he uh, he was there the year before because um, he was in that league. That uh, We must have continued it from the year before. Uh, yes, Richie. I'm trying to think who else. Um, Junior Spivey. These are kind <laughs> of names. all-star, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a good team. No, we, we, we weren't as good as the Cubs that year.
1: Now, uh, then when I think back on your career, obviously I mentioned your time with the Oakland days, I have to know this being a first round draft pick, you were obviously under a huge microscope from the second you got called up drafted second overall. Is it tough to break into the big leagues under those types of circumstances? Um,
0: in, in a way it, it could, it can be, if, if you look at it, uh, from that standpoint, I never really thought about it much, um, The advantage you have over the late round picks is if you do struggle in the minor leagues, you got a a longer rope. Um, I didn't didn't matter to me. I always did fairly well at each league, but um, for the later round picks, if you have a bad season, a lot of times that's it. Like you're not back the next season. So in a way it could be less pressure, just knowing that you don't have to perform uh, that you're going to have a job the next year on a team um but you know like you said everyone's expecting you to do something when you step to the plate more eyes are watching you so it could go both ways you
1: know you had willie mccovey hyping you up back when you were a rookie and you actually responded how surreal is it to be a rookie and have that type of not only hype but success almost immediately do you feel like a rock star (laughs)
0: Uh, well, I like playing in Oakland because it, it wasn't the New York media. It wasn't the Boston media, Philadelphia. Um, you know, as a player, you can say all you want. Like, I don't, I don't read the paper. It was the paper back then. I don't read the paper. I don't watch the news, but you feel pressure if you're not performing in those cities way more than you do in places like Oakland or Tampa or San Diego. Um, so, ha- but having a, having a good season, your first year, uh, especially when you're expected to have a good season, um, you know, at the end of the year, I think I, I kind of like, like, relaxed a little, I'm like, okay, got, got that one, got that one in the books. But during the season you're, you're grinding, you know, it's playing every day. You're not really thinking about
1: it. Now, how'd you find out you were going to be an all-star in 98? Um,
0: I wasn't really expecting it. Um, I was a, I wasn't voted in i was uh mike hargrove was the manager um and he selected me which is which is kind of cool when someone else that you don't even play for picks you um and i a couple of days before the game art art how just called me in and, and told me and uh you know the team is happy for you i think that year i was the was the only oakland a it would have been nicer to have some have some teammates there it would have been funner but uh, i think the next year we sent a few more
1: yeah that's right when you got you had like Giambi and John Jaha on, and some of those lines. Yeah, that's that, a good memory. Yeah.
0: Housen, Tim <laughs> Hudson, yeah.
1: That's right. Is he, Zito, 99 or 2000? You, he played with you though, right? Zito was Yeah,
0: there. he got called up. Hudson got called up first. Uh, and then Zito and Mulder, I'm not sure the order. But Tim, Tim Hudson was there almost from the beginning of 99. And I think Zito was a little later. Yeah.
1: You know, it's so interesting because you guys, most of you all got called up around the same time i know giambi was there for a little while before you got there but it seems like you all had success almost immediately it was like there was no learning curve did you guys like know you were studs at that time that you're able to just like <laughs> turn it on on the hot on the you know the brightest of lights or under the brightest of lights like that uh well the good the best
0: part about oakland um was the team in the clubhouse um and the, you know, the leader of our team was Jason uh, Giambi. And so we had the most relaxed, fun atmosphere you, you could imagine. I'm I'm sure there's more teams like it, but I can't imagine there was a better situation as a rookie to come into than that one, it, just as far as the looseness and the, uh, you know, just the play hard and see what happens mentality that we had there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it was such a quick transformation because when you first got called up, like in 97, I know you had a cup of coffee with the, with the A's. um, They were struggling. It had been like quite a few years. What was so different about the 2000 team, for example, that uh, that you were finally able to to get over that hump.
0: That's a good question. And uh, I'm trying to remember. (laughs) (laughs) It had to be the pitching. I mean, I don't think Tim Hudson was like a seventh round pick, eighth round pick and nobody was, counting on him to be a potential Cy Young winner at that point. Um, and so that that is always the first thing is you got to have good pitching and uh, trying to think back to who our staff was that year. But, you know, we made a, a trade for, for uh, I don't know if we traded him or just had Gil Heredia. I don't know if you remember that name. He pitched really good for us. Our bullpen threw really well. We had guys out there that most people wouldn't remember their names. Jim Messier, Jeff Tam, these guys in our bullpen, that uh that had outstanding years and um billy bean made a trade late in the season Uh, we traded billy taylor uh and someone else maybe kenny rogers to the mets and kenny was a good pitcher for us and we got uh terrence long jason Isringhausen, and uh someone else and that those guys were great for us. Izzy was a great closer. Billy Taylor was a good closer too, but Izzy was young and came in and slammed the door for us. So that trade helped us a lot too.
1: Now you had your best season in 2000. I know you won rookie of the year in 98, but you know, if you look at your overall numbers, you ever feel overmatched playing in the steroid era?
0: I was, yeah, you know, that's a good question. I just felt unlucky to play in the steroid era because I didn't take them. Uh, and I was playing with guys back then. You didn't really think about it. You kind of looked at certain guys and were like, really? But to hit 29 home runs, when I was a kid growing up, that was that was pretty high. I, I remember like, one year, I think, as a kid, George Bell led the league with 40. So 29, that's a lot uh, in the 80s. It wasn't a lot in the 90s. <laughs> 29 compared to 73 doesn't look so great. So I just felt I, it was unlucky. And... Um, you know, I don't know how many of the pitchers were taken or if that helped that much for them, but to be the guy and, you know, obviously not everyone took them. So there's other guys like me that numbers would have looked a lot better, but to be the one that wasn't taking them, it just, it's just, was an unlucky time, (laughs) time to play.
1: Was it discouraging at all?
0: No, I didn't think about it that way. I, the reason I never took them aside from just values is that. I actually didn't think they would help me that much. uh, I'm sure they would have, but I felt like when I took batting practice, like I was hitting it just as far as these guys, like, okay, well, I don't need to hit it any farther. I just need to hit it better, you know, and more often. So, um, but yeah, it it wasn't discouraging, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure we had some guys on our team that were taking it, that were helping our team too. So uh, you just kind of dealt with it back then. You didn't really think about it much, to be honest with you
1: you didn't know that you had certain teammates or did you ever see certain teammates doing? Uh,
0: no, I never, because the guys that take them, they don't want people to know. It's it's like, you're putting up these numbers. You don't want people to know that like you had help. So it's kind of like a forbidden thing that the guys that taken them, they didn't want, they didn't want people to know. Um, and, you know, and it turns out some of them got caught some of them were in the Mitchell report. Um, and then, you know, you got others that skated through, I'm sure. But yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that what you were able to accomplish, um, you know, considering the type of playing field that you were dealing with, I mean, yeah, if I look at your baseball reference, for example, this looks like a solid corner outfielder from the 1980s and then some, I mean, you had high OPSs, especially while you were playing with, uh, the Oakland A's. Why do you think that you did have that type of staying power? Like, what was it about your game that you feel made you so unique, especially, you know, in that scandalous era?
0: The one thing I did well for Oakland and even for Tampa when I struggled, uh, I was always able to get on base uh, pretty regularly, um, which was probably my best attribute as a hitter was having a patient and good eye at the plate. Um, so that you know that got me on base a lot. But the one thing that if I did better, I, I would have stuck around longer um, is when I struggled in Tampa uh, and wasn't putting up the same numbers and then uh, towards the end of my career, if I if I could play a different position other than outfield or had a little more speed, it def- it definitely helps. And I tell I tell my kids that like don't don't just think you're one position. Like learn learn to play multiple positions. And the guys like Chris Bryant who can play third base, center field, right field, left field, first base. Uh, I don't know if he plays shortstop, but those guys are extremely valuable. I, I played right field and left field, so that didn't that didn't do me too much good when it whenever. It came time to seeing what else I could do.
1: Now you and Hal McRae used to uh, clash a little bit. Is that right?
0: I liked Hal. You might be thinking of Pinella.
1: Oh, once oh once uh, Hal McRae okay. left. My bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I loved Hal. Hal was great
1: character. Both characters really, but Pinella not difficult to play for.
0: Well, I I had I don't know if you can <clears throat> search it on the internet and find video of it. Uh, I'm sure if it happened now, it would be out there. I had an incident when I was struggling. I came in and pinch hit for Carl Crawford in a game against the Yankees in the ninth inning. Um, and Mariano Rivera was pitching and he threw me a pitch on a two, two count. That was cause you know, he had the cutter that he would throw in the lefties, but if he wanted to, he could throw that same cutter on the outside corner and spot it. And so, I'm always thinking, okay, hit hit the inside pitch, Rivera. You know it's coming in, it's coming in. And he threw me a perfect strike on the outside corner and the umpire called it a ball on two and two. So I'm like, oh, okay, great. Get an extra pitch to see if I can break my bat against this guy. And so the next pitch, he throws a questionable, <laughs> he throws a questionable strike up in the zone, and I took it, and it was probably a ball. But the pitch before was so perfect that the umpire called the next pitch a strike. And so I struck out. I just turned back and went to the dugout. How uh, – not how. Lou from the dugout thought it was a ball, and he thought that – well, he asked me. He's like, was that a ball or a strike? And I'm like, I don't know. It might have been a ball. And so that comment led to him asking me, well, wh- why the hell didn't you say something? Like, I, I can't do a Lou Pinella voice, but you can imagine. And whatever I said, he took it the wrong way. I said something like, "Ah, he doesn't care or – it doesn't matter. The umpire is walking off the field. I said something like that and whatever he heard or whatever I said, got understood as me not caring. And when he he thought he heard that he, uh, he, he laid into me, <laughs> it went from the dugout up the ramp into the clubhouse in front of the whole team. And I, you know, I'm a kind of shy guy. I just sat there and didn't say anything. I didn't yell back at him. Like try to punch him. Like Rob Dibble did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> or, like Reggie against remember, Billy Martin. He played for Billy Martin. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: They fought in the dugout, I think, didn't they?
1: <laughs> yeah. They didn't actually get, but they they tried to, they almost got into a fistfight. Elston Howard got between yeah. them.
0: I remember John McLaren came up to me afterwards in, in the uh, shower and he's like, he's like, Are you okay? I'm like, Yeah, man, I'm all right. <laughs> I'll be fine. The next day, Lou acted like it never happened. I was batting fifth or sixth, so just kind of forgot about it.
1: Oh, interesting! Wow, but he all definitely years, liked the
0: hard—he liked the hard-nosed player uh, and the loud, emotional player because that's that's how he was, and that's fine. Every team has those guys, and I like watching those guys too. But I wasn't the loud, emotional, throw-your-helmet player, and uh, I don't—I don't think Luke could understand how anyone could be that way.
1: <laughs> all these years, I thought it was Hal McCray, which I guess would have made sense because he—he had a temper too. I mean, you, we've all seen the video. I think by now of and him the throwing phone. the phone up. In the <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think he realized very early in his tampa uh managing career that he had was going to have to have some patience and i think he just understood that from the
1: get-go oh my goodness now yeah. obviously at least you went out a winner in oakland can you tell me what's going through your mind when you head to the bronx all tied up at a game of peace in that 2000 division series You think you have a shot at the mighty yankees at that point
0: I, i'm trying to remember I, I know we were flying back to oakland and it was tied at two to two. I, I can't remember how that each game went. I know we beat, uh, Roger
1: game four. The, you killed the Yankees to tie it okay, up. That was game four. Two, two. Yeah. Right.
0: And I know Alamedo signs hit a big home run in one of those games, but I remember flying home to Oakland thinking like, all right, like we're feeling, we're, we're feeling pretty good going into game five. Uh, and, uh, I think Andy Pettit was pitching for the Yankees and, uh, we we got some run, scored some runs off them, but I can't remember. I think early on in that game that the Yankees put up some runs, and uh, we kind of fought back, but not not enough.
1: Yeah, the Yankees. I remember scored six runs in that first inning. Like Tino hit that three run triple over Terrence Long's head, and you guys oh, okay. immediately put up a five spot. And I think Justice hit. Solo homer for the Yankees, and the Yankees won like 7 5. But yeah, that's right. It started off, it's like, oh, there's going to be a blood, and you guys scratched and clawed all the way back.
0: It's funny what you remember because the, the thing I remember most about that game is I went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts.
1: Against <laughs> <laughs> Pettit and El Duque? Or did it end pet it with a Mariano
0: strikeout? Pettit for a couple. El Duque was one of them, and I think Stanton was mixed in there, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if it was him or not, but I'm pretty sure it was him. The thing about Andy Pettit, I never hit him that great. But early on in my career, or, or the first two years, I guess, that I faced him, it was fastball, curveball, slider. And to me, I don't think I saw too many changeups. So everything was either coming straight or going away from me. And I felt like I could have a game plan against that. But... In 2000, and I don't know if he was doing this all along or he just started doing it to me. He started throwing a two seam fastball. And so now it's not straight and going away from me anymore. Now I got this other one to think about that's coming in on me. And once he started doing that, I was I was not going to hit well off him.
1: Right, p- petted, uh Who was it? Oh, Mike Bordick actually said that that was the toughest pitcher he ever faced. And, and, and you know, when you think it's not that Andy Pettit was some overpowering guy, it's just that manipulation right. that he had with this cutter all of a sudden towards the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's just, yeah. And gl- the
0: glove in front of his face, like yes. so kind of like,
1: stare. <laughs> 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 oh man. And ben. all these years later, has it been tough to watch the game change the way it has to, you know, this kind of three true outcome, five inning starts, the five and dive thing, you know, the crazy bullpens, uh, you know, usage. What, what do you think of the way it's changed? Yeah,
0: it is. It's, it's definitely different now. Um, with all the, the, this, whatever you call it, the metrics, the, the launch angle and the spin rate and all that. Um, I was kind of hoping when they got rid of that sticky substance and they started doing that, that the hitters would kind of make a resurgence. Um, but you're right. The 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 what, what are the three outcomes? Home run, walk and strike out. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, when you go to Padre games, um, there's just, there's not a, there's not a lot. There's not as many hits. Most of the runs are scored by home run, which is great. But um, you know, I guess it takes them getting used to the to the new to the new, the new strategy. The one thing I hate, and I would have definitely hated it when I played, is the shift. I I am not a fan of the shift, and I don't know if you've seen where Manny Machado plays out here. Sometimes he's he's basically right in front of the right fielder. Uh, so as a left hand hitter. Uh, if you don't hit the ball the other way, uh, I, 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 can, I imagine there's a lot of frustration uh, going around these left-hand hitters.
2: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, Ben, you were certainly a great
1: left-handed hitter and uh, you accomplished a lot, but now it's about to get tough here on break it back as we do a little segment Uh, where you picture yourself back in the batter's box in the ninth inning, maybe Chapman is pitching, throwing 105 miles an hour. And I'll ask you a question. You got to think quick and tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. How does that sound?
0: Uh, okay. Hopefully something comes to
1: my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What's your favorite? All right, let's do it. Favorite New York city meal.
0: I can tell you my favorite restaurant. I don't think it's around anymore. Is Pino's. It's an Italian place that a guy named Jerry Casale used to own. Uh, I think he was a pitcher for the Red Sox. And uh, I remember they had good lasagna. So I'll, I'll go with lasagna.
1: Toughest pitcher you ever faced? Randy Johnson. How about a guy you owned? A guy you never heard
0: of, Matt Parisho.
1: I haven't. I'm surprised. I, have, I mean, I've heard of Matt Tam, who you mentioned before, or was it Jeff, Ta- Jeff Tam? Jeff I, Tam. <laughs> I going to give you one he I've know. heard
0: of. I I didn't own him, but I actually did better than most guys did against Roger Clemens. I did, definitely did not own him, though, but I did better than most.
1: Most fun big league game you ever got to play in? I guess
0: i I'll say the All Star Game and my first game back at Texas, where I grew up watching the Rangers.
1: You can be the lead in one Broadway musical. What would it be?
0: <laughs> uh, let me think if I can name one. Uh, what's the one with the 80s music? Rock of Ages. I'm a fan of 80s music, definitely. So I don't know anything about Rock of Ages, but I'll go with that one.
1: You know, they, they made a movie version with Julianne Huff and Tom Cruise, Russell Brand. Maybe you should watch it. You, know, you can rehearse uh, it. I know my wife
0: has seen it. Maybe I'll check it out.
1: Highly recommend it. Um, teammates right. of yours that would make the best Timon and Pumbaa in the Lion King on Broadway.
0: Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> are those are those enemies of each other, or are they? <laughs> what are they like?
1: <laughs> they're they're pals. They uh, they're the ones that like you know do the whole Hakuna Matata. To, okay. The warthog uh, and the meerkat
0: are they like happy-go-lucky, good-natured characters?
1: Yeah, they are. Yeah, 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 yeah they are.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll go Miguel Tejada. And, uh, let's see, uh, Jorge Valandia. I don't know if you know him uh, He's so, a assistant GM for the Phillies, but he was an infielder for the A's.
1: So if you had an evil teammate, we could call you. Did you have any evil teammates? Cause we could just say that we could cast them as scar in the line.
0: Uh, let me think about any guys that were mean. It would probably be a pitcher. I played with a bunch of, I played with a bunch of nice guys.
1: <laughs> it like a pretty chill dude. And Tim Hudson's yeah. like a great guy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I didn't have any too intimidating. I guess a villain would be someone that someone that the fans end up turning on in Chicago was Sammy Sosa who I loved, he was a great teammate, but you know, he turned into kind of a villain in Chicago.
1: Speaking of villains and fans turning on people, what are your thoughts on Alex Rodriguez?
0: Uh, <laughs> I like Alex. I don't I don't when I do watch games I don't always have the volume up, but I think he's a pretty good announcer. Um, The thing about the guys that got caught taking steroids is I I can think of two examples. Andy Pettit was HGH and immediately just said he was sorry. Jason Giambi is another one immediately just said, Hey, take accountability. I'm sorry. Those two guys like, you know, it's, it, it looked bad, but, what else can you say to them? You know, they uh they admitted it, they're wrong, and life moves on. I, I remember Alex kind of shifted the blame on someone else. Uh I don't remember exactly who it was or what he said. But I don't know. I can't really question or call someone on it. Maybe, maybe he's telling the truth. I don't know. But I just I think the guys that took steroids, if they just said yep. Uh, you know, I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to move on. Sorry, apologize. I think that would have been a lot better way to handle that than whatever they all said, I don't know, whatever the excuses were, or the blame was. But I think if he would have done that, I think people would have instantly forgave him and uh, moved on with his career a little bit easier. But he's a nice guy. And I always, uh, lately, since I have kids now, they love going to the games and getting autographs. And when I was a player, I didn't really think about it too much. You know, I'd sign autographs, but I didn't realize how much it meant to like kids to get a big leaguers autograph. And my kids, some of their favorite players are just the random guys that signed an autograph form. So I was staying at a hotel in Chicago, watching Cubs game after we were playing and the Yankees were staying at our hotel. And I saw Alex and I never played with Alex, but we know each other in the lobby. He came over and talked to me, met my oldest son, Bodie, talked to Bodie, and signed Bodie's baseball card so i like alex <laughs> okay <laughs> that. Uh, fair enough it's for that reason only he signed my son's card and was really nice to him so i'm a fan of alex
1: good enough reason for me um coolest piece of memorabilia that you kept from your playing career
0: oh i got a good one um does it have to be from my playing career gonna <laughs> be for no, when i was no, a kid Yeah, from from when you were a kid, that's fine. My dad went to game one of the 1988 World Series and kept an uncut ticket stub and gave it to me. And uh, nowadays, they don't have tickets. You just scan your phone. So I I got game one ticket of the 1988 World Series, and I just realized I had it the other day. I found it in a box. So I mailed it to my dad at the beginning of the season and said, if you can, if it's at all possible, because he's the Rangers announcer, can you try to get Dennis Eckersley and Kirk Gibson to sign this ticket? Obviously they were part of that game. He's gotten Eckersley so far, but not Gibson. So if he gets that ticket signed by Kirk Gibson, that'll be by far the coolest thing that I own.
1: That's pretty cool. As it is the fact that you have that ticket stuff, but man, if you could get those, both those guys on that ticket that you gotta, you gotta hang that up on the wall.
0: I will for sure. Yeah. it's a good one.
1: All right. And, uh, Oh, here's a here's a uh, fun one. Here, fact about Ben Grieve that would surprise people the most?
0: Huh? Fact about Ben Grieve that would surprise people the most? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Stumped me on that one. I'm trying to think of something that I'm scared of, or uh, I don't know. I I can't think of anything great for that one. I'm kind of a sissy when it comes to most things, as far as. Uh, riding roller coasters and stuff like that. I'm definitely not a uh, daredevil, but I don't think that would surprise anyone. All
1: right, Ben, this is the last one. What is the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you?
0: Huh? Uh, Well, it's it's kind of a cliche, but uh, when I was a kid, my dad, uh, the only advice he ever gave me was play hard and have fun. Um, And that's what I tell my kids, play hard and have fun. Uh, it's a pretty simple piece of advice, but it, it's also good advice.
1: Awesome stuff, Ben. Oh, man, this was so great chatting with you today, man. I hope to see you around uh, the new Yankee Stadium soon. Have you had the chance to check it out yet? I would love to come
0: up and check it out. Um, no, I haven't haven't been up there yet. My, my parents and uh, their family all live back east. They're from uh, Massachusetts. So the last time I was in New England was at my grandfather's, 90th birthday in pittsfield massachusetts but maybe one one of these days i'll make it back to new york
1: that'd be awesome man at the very uh at the very least I'll come down to I'll come back out to petco Park my favorite ballpark and I'll say hello to you over there all right
0: yeah that'd be a good spot to visit in the winter in New York for sure
1: <laughs> yeah you're, you're a lucky guy I know we've got a few rough months ahead of us but uh yes you're very lucky to be living where you are down in San Diego and uh man I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight this was great
0: uh, it's my pleasure al I appreciate you having me I'm glad I did it
1: Ah, my pleasure, man. And uh, thank you to all the folks at home who listened to Break a Bat tonight. Be sure to visit and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Al Malafrante signing off from the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway podcast network on Instagram at Broadway podcast network. It's been so great having you here with us today and we'll see you next time.